Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution and ladies, gents, plants of all sorts, it is such a pleasure to be here today. We have with us Dr. Frank Anderson. Dr. Anderson, how are we? I'm doing really well, actually. I had a great day today. Mm-hmm. Just got off of a um, collective trauma summit 
that was kind of hosted all over the world. So I feel like I'm in the energy of sharing globally. So I feel really great and I feel honored to be here. Uh, and we're just in the slipstream of all of that energy. That's beautiful. For those tuning in to Dr. Frank Anderson for the first time, he is a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist, but he's really, he specializes in understanding and treating the effects of like the, the pain and trauma that we, we undergo. Now, there is so much to unpack in this space because we could really, yeah, we could go in so many directions, especially at the moment. I feel like a lot of people are waking up to trauma as a conversation. Um, yes. I don't want to say it's a buzzword just because trauma is very personal and traumatic. Um, so calling it a buzz would be very, uh, I would almost say sacrilegious. Um, but in there, I would love to sort of understand, just rewinding a little bit about you a little bit personally first is, you know, do you ever look back at the, like the, the child that was Dr. Frank Anderson prior to like the ages of 10 and sort of go, who was that guy that is now doing this work in the world? You know, <clears throat> do you look back on that and can you give us some of that context? So that is probably the most relevant question I've been asked in a really long time. <laughs> Do I look at that? I have been diving into that every single day yeah. for months now, honestly. Wow. So, um, and it's, a, it's an amazing process. So I'm in the midst of writing a memoir. Mm. Uh, I was kind of shocked that they said, Frank, my publisher said, we want you to write a memoir. I'm thinking, who am I? Like, I haven't won a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> I'm not 80 years old. Why is the world looking to write a memoir, right? Like, why? <laughs> what are you implying here? <laughs> yeah. like, hello, is it time for me to exit? What's the story, right? <laughs> but no, you know, I one of the things I do is I, when I teach mm -hmm. is um, I talk about my history. Like, that's kind of who I am. I don't, I like to destigmatize trauma. I like to get away from the, I'm the expert, mm -hmm. you're the victim, you're the client. It just doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like that energy. So I've always been very vocal about myself having a trauma history. Um, and so they really wanted me to tell my story to the general public instead of writing books to therapists and people like that about neuroscience and trauma, which has been really the thrust of my career. So for you to ask like, do you ever think about your like early days? <laughs> Pre, like, like I am steeped in it. I am totally steeped in those early days. And you know, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And mine is unique in the way that mine's unique, right? Like everybody else's is. But I grew up in the Midwest, in the States, very conservative, Midwestern, town in I'm old I don't look old but I'm old I'm 59 years old right so way back in the day and I was in retrospect this little gay boy who was growing up in a world that it wasn't okay to be gay mm. at all right so I was put into conversion like a form of conversion therapy in first grade and so I had a message early on you are not okay. There is something severely wrong with you, yeah. right? So that's what I start. That's how I started, right? Not knowing what was wrong with me, not knowing the way people were reacting to me, particularly my dad mm. as one person who really struggled with whatever I was, right? So um, it was a hard 
upbringing. It was a very difficult childhood. And what I did to compensate was to excel. Like it was my, okay, if I do really well, maybe he'll love me. Okay, if I do really well, right? That I was, I was lucky that that ended up being my coping mechanism because mm -hmm. it could have a lot of other a things. A myriad of other things, yeah. yeah. A myriad of other things, yeah. right? So I excelled in the, in the hopes to getting love and attention. And so that got me, put me on this trajectory straight A's in schools, awards and everything, got into medical school, got into Harvard, all this kind of stuff. So I was in this constant search of trying to get love. Mm -hmm. And throughout the process, probably when I was in college, my sister, you know, my younger sister had a, her a psychotic break. Mm -hmm. And that was devastating. That was like so devastating for our family. And it really affected me. It's like, oh my God, I have to save my sister. So mm -hmm. it kind of put me on a trajectory to, I've got to become a psychiatrist to save my sister. See, right. so that I was, I was not aware of, I was pretty well defended. I pushed everything away, mm -hmm. just like I was taught to do, right? Mm -hmm. In all the kind of therapy that I was in. So having my sister have a psychotic break really activated something in me. Very sure. powerful. And it kind of, thrust me into becoming a psychiatrist and mm. typically what happens is they suggest that you go into your own therapy so that you can get to learn about yourself a little bit right it was like mm -hmm. wow <laughs> <Did I know? laughs> it was like holy cow because then what ended up happening is then all my own stuff started coming up you know I was like yeah. oh maybe maybe I didn't become a psychiatrist to save my sister only. Mm. Maybe there was a lot more going on there for me too, you know? And so that was, that's really kind of my story in, in a way that I um, got here, right? Mm. I was, it was meant to be here, mm -hmm. but that was the journey to getting here for me. And then, you know, I've really spent most of my career in this field of trauma, helping people heal from trauma, helping people through overwhelming life experiences, doing, continuing to do my own work. Mm. And really after this most recent book of mine had this calling, like my purpose got clear. Mm. It's like, oh, I'm here to bring trauma healing to the world. Like that's what this is about. Mm. So everything kind of came aligned for me fully yeah. within the last year or so after writing this last book. I think it's really important to hear that that last bit as well, because I think so much of us are looking for purpose time and time again, and yes. sometimes we sort of associate it as being a stagnant sort of static thing, and it definitely evolves over time is one of the things I've learned as a purpose coach, and also, you know, not to sort of be subject to ageism, but, you know, like finding even greater levels of purpose, even, you know, past 55, you know, that I think yeah. people tuning in need to hear that. But um, one of the things I really wanted to dive deep in on is I think there's a bit of an archetype in there, or maybe a, we, you and I just share that personally, but <coughs> pardon me, the, um, the, the piece about, you know, looking for love and then, you know, resulting to excellence. Mm -hmm. um, I, yes. I, I did some, you know, through the podcast and coach, I've done some reflection work on myself personally as well. And that was a massive realization that, um, yeah, that, you know, I was, touch what they said academically gifted or however you want to you want to put that right yeah. um right. and i realized that that was because if i brought home really good grades they got noticed 
Um, but in the meet, like for the most part, the other stuff didn't really get noticed and it wasn't really. And so that was my easy way to work at school really hard and then get attention. There was other things in there. I had an immigrant family. I was going to a really, you know, established like private school and they were, you know, spending a lot of money to put me there. But that was at the heart of it, you know, and even with teachers, I've noticed I was always the first one to put my hand up to have the right answer and be the first one. And that sort of behavior has then subsequently like trickled into adulthood in a really big way Mm -hmm. um and noticing that it's left unchecked actually it you know it was like like a coping mechanism in many ways to try and get love at that stage but then also trying to be first and trying to be right and i can see it in a lot of people around me (laughs) as well actually especially the capitalistic competitive society um it's many will sort of fan the flames of that behavior and say that's that's awesome that you'll like that um but then therein lies you know also burnout becomes a bit of a conversation for people and stuff like that. mental health mental fitness which i know you're a massive advocate of start to become at the fore of the conversation so how much you know do you think it is like do you like is this a collective um how much does the collective play into our traumas um and the environments that we're in rather than just the individual happenings because sometimes when we have uh, conversations around trauma it's like well I wasn't in a car crash right you know and it's like but those death by a thousand cut things I've also found to be what I sort of label as little t trauma versus big t trauma um, I'd love to get your your insights in that space folks. yeah I mean it's an interesting conversation because in fact the part of the problem with this coping mechanism versus saying shooting heroin or binging and purging and cutting or all the other kind of coping mechanisms that one can resort to, Mm. you know, resorting to achievement as a coping mechanism, part of the problem is society and culture rewards it. Mm. You get rewarded for that. So it's kind of like putting gasoline on a fire. It gets fuel and it gets rewarded, right? And so what ends up happening, and that's what, that's what success is. You know, the more you make, the more you earn, the more you achieve. So it really gets, it can really, there's a whole bunch of people. Mm. There's a whole bunch of highly successful, mm. very wealthy people who are really struggling because they really have lost connection, lost internal connection, lost a sense of self and purpose mm. because they're dominant sense of being is Mm -hmm. achievement like I was one of those people I I thought I was smart like that's who I am Mm. end of story right I'm smart Mm. which really in retrospect showed me how how much I missed so many other aspects of myself and my personality. I didn't know I had a sense of humor. I didn't know nature. Mm. I didn't know I love travel. Like I was so stuck in one dimension Mm -hmm. as a coping. And again, it get rewarded, rewarded, rewarded. And so it really is problematic. And most people who are in that, uh, on that trajectory are very disconnected Mm. and ends up happening is you end up doing things that are misaligned and you end up getting in a lot of trouble, a lot of divorces, a lot of bad business decisions, a lot of, you know, because it's driven by a force outside of self. It's not 
driven by an aligned purpose. It's driven by a, a form of protection of a wound. And every time we're driven by protecting a wound, we tend to recreate the wound. That's what ends up happening. So it's a vicious cycle. Now we're really starting to dovetail into the content of the book, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> because therein lies, you know, and the question I was going to ask prior yeah. to we, us diving, diving just into, you know, this conversation around protections and perpetuating the protections is, yes. oh, my God, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm so grateful for your work. But for that person that's listening in, um, yeah. that is feeling like, okay, but my success is my identity, is my everything right now. Yes. And what you're asking me to do is take the foot off the gas and to consider healing when this may be the only dimension of my life that really feels like it's working. Like, yes, my, my relationships may not be working. Yes, you know, there might be that thing I've, I've always got, I've got to go look after my parents, but I've chosen not to do that. And I'll just sort of, you know, whatever that. But, you know, and then, you know, there's all this stuff. But at work, I am like, you know, yeah. I'm CEO, C-suite executive. I make the decisions. People listen. People count on me. They rely on me. It's where I've got to be. And they're focused on their success. How do we invite those people to consider taking a look? Is it taking a look at the other things that potentially aren't working? Or like, yeah, how do, is that? Well, it's first taking a look. So most, if it's working, mm. there's no problem. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is it doesn't work. So mm. what I do in a non-shaming way is saying, mm. how is it working for you? Mm. Right? That's the question. How is that working? And typically someone will say, not so great. I'm lonely. I can't have a relationship. I really want a family, but I've, you know, the, whatever, or I've gotten fired mm-hmm. in several jobs. It doesn't work. And there is some secondary problem. People don't come in to work on their unmet needs of being unloved as a child. Like they don't even know that. <laughs> right? They're like, that's not what's driving the What are you doing here today? My inner child's brought me along for a session. <laughs> that just... doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Could you imagine? You know? That'd be so amazing. Yeah. It doesn't. They come in because something's not working in their life. And so mm-hmm. that's where you start the inquiry. Like, let's see why that's not working. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's going on. And instead of hating or getting rid of the overachieving part of you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's never going to work, mm-hmm. right? We want to embrace the positive intention. So mm-hmm. let's really let's really understand how it's working. Mm-hmm. Let's really see the ways it's helping. And we can also then look at the ways it might be overutilized, not working so well, or causing trouble in other areas. So we're always embracing, right? We're embracing that positive intention. We, I don't want to get rid of anything. That's a very important piece. Like, I'm still smart. <laughs> like, that didn't go away, mm-hmm. right? But it's not, it's not dominating my life. It's not taking over. So we're also saying, look, that achievement's really valuable. And we're not interested in getting rid of it. What if it was a choice? And what if it was more balanced? Mm-hmm. Are you interested in that? Mm-hmm. See, we, you need a buy-in mm-hmm. from these parts 
that are desperate to try to solve a problem that they're not very equipped at solving. Mm -hmm. So you, you need to get a buy-in from them. And typically it's joining their positive intention, mm. you know, not getting rid of them. I mean, that's really a piece that's important around how do you do this, right? Yeah. Like stop doing what is the only thing I know how to do. Mm. Like, no, let's look at why it's so good first, yeah. you know, and how it's trying to help. Then we can maybe look at what else is going on also, or other other parts of you that really don't have much airtime. Mm. And do you want to be more balanced? And most people say yes. Mm. I love that because, um, well, you know, it's fraught with challenges, but I love this realization because um, what I've, you know, having interviewed people again and again through this podcast um, alone, if it was just that, I was realizing that oftentimes people's biggest gifts come from their biggest challenges, you know? Yes. And like you said, just honoring that and like the source of that and saying, hey, at the, at the start of it, at the heart of it, you were coming from this really beautiful place to try and, you know, be witnessed, be loved, even if we just take the example we had before, excellence yes. in exchange for love, you know. Um, the, it was, hey, like, I just want love and I just want to be, you know, held and cared for and appreciated by those that love me. Um, yeah. So you, you mentioned also protections. And so can you describe to us what you mean by triggers and protections, triggers, and protections, and the dance between the two? Um, yeah, if you can start there and then we'll, we'll go deeper. Absolutely. So, and this is, you know, a lot of my work is based in the in internal family systems model of therapy. So that's mm -hmm. a model of therapy that I teach. Uh, Dick Schwartz is the founder of that model. There's a mm -hmm. whole institute of people that learn how to do IFS work. Um, as I said earlier, I'm kind of taking that work outside of the realm of psychotherapy into the general public. So mm -hmm. there's a translation in terminology and things like this. This is, you know, to not do the therapy speak, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, and to bring it to the general population. But, you know, we all have different parts of ourselves. We all have different aspects of our personality from this perspective, right? I did some work with um, Pixar mm. on the Inside Out movie. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. You know, all the different parts of us, right? Joy, mm. sadness, fear, anger, disgust. They did a beautiful job mm. of normalizing different aspects of our personality. Didn't they right? just? Yeah. We all, we all have that, and so we want to normalize that. It's not pathological. You all have different aspects of your personality, and in overwhelming life experience, we those parts of us are forced to take on extreme roles. Mm. They're forced to protect us, right? So, and, and what people end up seeing them as are bad character traits. I hate the part of me that yells, or I hate the part of me that gets depressed, or I, I hate that I'm suicidal. Like they really don't like these aspects of our personality that are forced into overworking mm -hmm. for the service of protection, right? So it could be, you know, I, I used to work, I had no balance in college. Like I was working, I would, I would go study and, and count every hour I was studying that everyone else wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing to get an edge over them. Like it was so mm -hmm. overworked. It was so overdone, right? Mm -hmm. No balance there at all. So any form of anything that's overdone and overused is a form of protection right eating drinking binging 
um, depression, exercising. Mm, dare I say yeah. coffee? <laughs> travel. travel. Rub some people up the wrong way. You know, in, moder in moderation, in balance, yeah. not a problem, yeah. right? Travel can be a problem. You know, mm. people are constantly traveling. You know, like it can be anything. Yeah. So anything that really gets overutilized, mm. overdone, out of proportion is really a form of protection. And so we look at in the most mental health symptoms are forms of protection, right? When like depression, anxiety, panic attack, whatever, bipolar disorder, psychosis, mm. all parts that are protective. And so we look at the problems as forms of protection, mm. right? And what are they protecting? That's the question. Mm. What are they protecting? Mm. Most people have no clue. They just are stuck in, Oh my God, I yell at all the time. Oh my God, I drink too much. You know, so they, they're stuck in the protection and they're not curious about what's underneath it. So when we appreciate the protection, value it, learn what it's trying to do, yeah. then we have, then you have this window into what's underneath, which are another aspect of what we talk about, which are the wounds yeah. or the parts of us that hold the pain, the parts of us that hold the trauma. So we have protective parts that work hard to protect, and we have parts that carry pain and wounds that hold the trauma. And that's the dance that we're trying to work with. That's mm. what we're trying to solve. Because once we're, we're free, mm -hmm. wounds are free of our burdens, those protective parts don't have to do it anymore. Mm and choose to be smart or not be smart like that we we you know what i like to say honestly is with these extreme protective parts what if they were retired <laughs> like what if they are around yeah but they don't have to 24 7 yeah interested yeah. in not working so hard like that's really the offer mm. I do want to dive deeper into the substrate of wounds, but before we get there, I do yes. want to remark on, especially with the example that you gave of the inside out. Um, and mm -hmm. as we're talking about the, um, yeah, the protections and the, yeah, each individual deserves a voice. And I think that that was really, it's been something that's been super present for me. Let's just start there. Yes. Um, because I found myself, not so much in the last few years, but definitely when I started out the inspired evolution, um, there's this, you know, positivity for the sake of positivity, right. you know, and there was this pushing down of some of the, yeah, you know, if I just focus on solutions, I'm just going to be solution oriented and solutions will appear. Right. Um, but then also taking after a time, like you said, you know, like, what are you, you know, you're consistently chasing solutions, you know, that is all that, that can be a defense mechanism, as you were yes, saying, to sort of like, yes. what, what is, why are you so solution oriented? Like, what is the problem? <laughs> you know, even um, alluding to what you're talking to. And then I realized that I, when I started to unpack and move further down into the substrate, what I found was, there was a challenge there in that I felt bad feeling bad and then mm -hmm. i would be like i would start judging my bad feelings for making me feel bad let alone get into the 
the you know that was the dragon at the door you know and then i was like That's conversing right. with the dragon getting lost in the dragon rather than getting into the temple when sort of meeting my wound right um if yeah. you look at it that way but i was just like judging yeah. myself for all my negative feelings and going, but this is now you and why do you why are you trying to look at this just stay you know and that right there i found can also be um quite a time consuming <laughs> energy consuming rabbit hole on our ways to getting down to the wounds well, let me let me just take that example for a minute because mm. it's a great example. And what I like to do is map it all out because mm. it gets overwhelming and people get all confused about it. But if I just like I could reiterate to you, right? Say, okay, so there's this part of you that is really future or focus oriented that really fo wants to focus on the future, right? Mm -hmm. Another part of you that you notice if you don't do that, you feel really bad. Mm. right they, yeah and i hear there's a third part that actually judges the bad feeling is mm. that right yeah so then we're like oh okay so we've got these three parts of you let's get to know them all better so mm. then it turns into like this internal inquiry mm -hmm. because they're all there for a reason like, oh okay you know, so this is a part of you that really doesn't want to feel bad. Let's learn more about what that's about. Where did that come from? And that will typically, I was always told, you know, you got whatever, whatever the mm. voices, right? Whatever the story is, don't be sad. Don't be mad. Like, so this part that judges mm -hmm. typically comes from outside that we internalize, mm. right? And this part that rushes for positive, yes, it can be a part, right? Because it's doing it with the intention of getting away from bad. Mm. Right? So let's learn about that one. And then people start saying, oh, wow. So there's a there's a reason to this madness. <laughs> like the, each one of these parts are doing this for a particular reason. And who somebody wasn't able to be with the pain. Right. And we help people find the solution internally instead of searching outside or running away from it constantly in all these different ways. Like we can get rid of it by criticizing it. We can get rid of it by running towards positive. Say, hey, what if we were able to just be with it in the ways that it needed and the ways that it never got, right? So there's the, there's an, it's a very gentle offer mm. of an alternative solution to a problem that your system hasn't figured out yet. Because if it figured out, it wouldn't be struggling. Mm. If it worked, it wouldn't be a problem. You mm. know, so we're very, you know, I get why you're, I get why you would do this, or I get why parts of you mm. would do that. That makes sense to me. Like I'm always validating, of course, you know, that yeah. makes sense. I, I can understand why mm. a part be critical or not like that feeling those are hard feelings like you're always validating mm -hmm. and you said like it's who doesn't like to be seen heard and validated mm. like guess what our parts inside do too mm -hmm. right anybody who 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 gets mad or pissed off when they're heard seen and validated Mm -hmm. Not people. They're like, finally, somebody gets me. Mm -hmm. It's the same inside. But what we're typically doing is pushing it all away instead of 
joining or embracing or trying to learn about it. So it's really, it's kind of like internal inquiry. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for unpacking that. So let's go there. So where do our wounds come from? Yeah. Is it as simple I'm, as the Jesuits, you know, sort of famous <laughs> saying now, like, give me the, give me the boy before seven and I'll show you the man. And you know, it works for both women. Well, maybe not for women. Maybe women are more enlightened than men. <laughs> but is that famous saying? Is it as, and I don't want to say as simple as that, but is it as simple as that? Or yeah, where do our wounds come from? Yeah, well, so here's my view and my theory on that. And, you know, it comes from some of the work that I've done with trauma, you know, tra many trauma survivors over the years, a lot of relational trauma, you know, mm. dysfunctional family kinds of things. People often have this like, vulnerability is a bad word. Like, oh, why would I be vulnerable? That's mm. stupid. You only get hurt when you're vulnerable. Like, why would I do that? Like, if there mm. people get, have so many people have had this allergic reaction to vulnerability. Mm. So I start looking into that a little bit long, more. They go, okay, what is that about? Why, why do people find that such a bad suggestion? Mm. Right. And then when I kind of break it down a little bit more, I look at I look at vulnerability in two dimensions. I look at, do I know what I feel? Like, what am I feeling? What's my truth here? Because most of us disconnect from what we feel. We have this tendency to get away from it. So whether it's positive I, or negative or however you want to label it, it's just I, screw the labels. And what do I feel? How, you know, what do I feel? You know, and can I share it with someone? Mm. What do I feel? Can I share it? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, as I said, I was a little boy and I was curious about my cousin, my girl cousin's Barbie doll. Mm. I was like a kid and I was curious, like nothing wrong with that. I was just curious. I think a kid playing like, oh, that's interesting. So is the truck interesting. I was interested in both, mm. you know? And the problem is the reaction of the other to who we are. Mm. Wounds develop because of the reaction of others. The interrelational uh -huh. play between others. Like, you shouldn't play with a doll. Boys mm. don't do that. Don't feel sad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> whatever it is, the message we yeah. get from the other person, you know, boys don't cry. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Right? Boys don't cry. <laughs> of the reactions to our authentic self mm -hmm. is how wounds develop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because what we end up doing is we take responsibility for what we're told. Oh, I'm bad for feeling. Oh, I'm wrong for wanting to play with the doll. Oh, you know, I shouldn't mm. want to whatever. So it's a distorted belief. We take responsibility for the ways others treat us. Mm -hmm. And that's how wounds develop, okay? That's how wounds develop. It's a distortion of responsibility. Like you're not wrong for liking to read, but if you get yelled at because all you do is read and you don't do anything else, go out and play. Mm. And oh, 
I'm wrong. I must be doing something wrong. Because kids need affirmation from their parents in order to feel okay and survive. Yeah. They need to be right? seen, heard, and validated, like you said. Yeah, they need to be seen, heard, and validated. And when we get those negative messages, we internalize them. And then we say, oh, I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm no good. That's how wounds develop. And then we act out other ways to be seen, heard, and validated in a way that's more apropos with your expectations. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that's where, and that's how the protectors develop. Oh, okay. I'll do this. Oh, okay. I'll do this. Like, and it becomes outside of who we authentically are. Right. But it's an attempt to get seen, heard, and validated when we're yelled at or criticized. Now, if the parent or the whoever takes responsibility for the action, mm. then we don't develop wounds. Like, hey, honey, I am so sorry. I should have never said that. I was wrong. You know, you could do whatever you want. It's fine to do, you know, it's fine to read books. Mm. I shouldn't have done that. I'm wrong. Mm. So if the authority figure takes responsibility for their inappropriate action, then kids say, oh, okay, it's not me. It must be them. Okay, mm. I'm very forgiving. But mm. rarely does that happen. I mean, sometimes it does. Mm. But rarely does it happen. So we internalize it. We take it as our responsibility. We believe we're wrong. We have this distorted belief. And so that's how that's how the wounds develop. You know? Well, you've articulated it really well. It's really, um, yeah, grabbable. Eatable. Good. It's actually reachable, which is I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. The the sort of getting meta on that for just a sec, zooming out, it's really interesting because I've been doing a lot of work recently with yeah, just personally with realizing, you know, the and maybe the trend of the podcast is going that way as well at the moment with this conversation around healing and how much the role of the other can be present in healing. But before we get into that, like mm -hmm. the role that yes. you play, validating people, hearing people, seeing people, what I'm hearing here is a lot of our traumas come from actually intentionally or unintentionally from each other. And I remember we, well, we run these meditation retreats where we'd go away for the weekend and usually sit at sunset all through the night into the morning mm -hmm. uh, until about sunrise-ish. And we used to do that work. And I remember going away to Brazil and the gentleman did the exact same work, but he did it during the day. And it didn't matter to him whether we were meditating during the day or during the night. And, you know, it was based around healing work. And I said, you know, how come, you know, the, there's, a, there's a status quo to sit, you know, these meditations during the evenings. And he said, yes, but you're here for healing work. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here for healing work. So, but what's that got to do with anything about sitting during the day? And he said, well, you know, in between your meditations, you have to go to the toilet, you have to pee, you have to go down, and you end up holding a door open for somebody. You end up doing something like this. You end up doing, you know, pouring somebody a glass of water. Those little interactions in the dark, we're completely fine to sort of, you know, at night sort of stay in our own little bubble process, our stuff. But during the daytime, you actually, you notice, you interact with people and you rewire your interactions. Those things might be super subtle. But, and he mentioned this to me was a lot of our traumas we don't like we don't carry those big tree traumas for a lot of people it's a little t death by a thousand cuts these little interactions which then have been validated over time and we actually get them from each other and learning to rewire those while you're away 
at a healing retreat. And I was, that has always stayed with me as a really profound insight. And I'm hearing a massive echo of that in your work and that actually our little T traumas, like we get them from, you know, from each other. Um, and it's not always like malice that's behind it, but it just so happens to be the case. Well, then let me, I'll say this, and this is my own particular view. I'm not a fan of big T, little T trauma languaging. Yeah, okay. tell me more. Tell, tell me you more. why. Yeah, because please. It doesn't feel like little. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I'm not seeing, hearing, and validating it. You know, you're absolutely right. I can see it. It doesn't. It. There's a way that mm. each person holds the experience. And there's a way that we downplay the significance mm-hmm. if you don't. Like I used to, I used to wish for bruises and broken bones mm-hmm. when I was a kid. It's like if it's big, then maybe somebody can see it, mm. right? So there was the look. I would get the look of like if looks could kill, <laughs> right? You're sitting at the da- the kitchen table. <laughs> Daggers. Right? That was horrible. You know, or I would get um no contact for a week, like nothing, no talking, right? So these things, these subtle or not so these interactions can have a profound effect on us, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like uh, it's Janina Fisher, a friend and a colleague of mine will say most of the therapeutic work happens in the in-between moments. Mm. What happens in the in-between, right? Yeah. What happens in that subtle interaction? What happens? And, you know, where so many of us are sensitive, we're intuitive, we feel the energy, Mm. especially when we're younger, Mm. right? We're just so open when Mm -hmm. we're younger. Mm-hmm. And those little things can have a profound impact mm-hmm. on us. And slowing it down, really being with it is very important, you know. And, and, and instead of holding what you should be feeling about this, really joining the person. And what was that like for you? Because perception is, is very important mm-hmm. versus reality like i often i don't when i sit with somebody with trauma history like yeah i'm interested honestly as to whether it did or didn't happen and how and how often i really want to know what the experience was like what was the perception of it right that's what you're holding and that's what we're going to help you release you know i'm not a truth teller i don't know i wasn't there but I'm here to help whatever whoever whatever part of you is carrying whatever they're carrying to release that, right? So we want to be careful about our judgments or perceptions of is it big, is it small, right? Well, I, you know, I used to, you know, I used to, it was make me so mad as a kid. You know, start eat your peas. There's starving kids in Africa, or something like this. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, like don't negate my experience. I really hate these peas. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. peas, and there are other kids that might not have food. And let's hold both of those experiences. You know, mm-hmm. let's really 
appreciate the fact that you don't really like this. And let's also appreciate there's a lot of people in the world that don't have food and we can have compassion for them. But don't take away my experience at the to support somebody mm -hmm. else. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like that. It's like those experiences are real. And most people ignore them or they're told they shouldn't be important. I'm personally finding myself at a very profound juncture in this conversation because that piece about perception and reality is actually huge. Um, I don't want to use the word drilling down into it, but that's probably the where the logical mind wants to sort of articulate it, how he wants to articulate it, like drilling down into it, oftentimes even, you know, in conversations with others, me, I use so much of my logical mind to sort of go, yeah, but that's not necessarily the case, you know, and I sort of resort and, you know, this is coming back into that identity of, oh, I'm smart, <laughs> you know, sort of the, 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 realizing that that's, again, a coping mechanism is what I'm just, is what's threading apart, uh, coming apart at the seams here. Um, and recognizing that even for others, I encourage them to do the same, but I'm coming from my archetype and the way that I work with my wounds, which is, is this real? And it's like, come back to baseline reality. And what you've just articulated is it, whether it's real or whether it's perception, it feels real yeah. for this person. And so if what you really care about is, that person's healing again, I keep coming back to this scene, heard and validated, you know, me saying that's not real though, which makes so much sense in my head. <laughs> my brain logic range is going, makes me say that's not real. Don't worry about it. Just let it go. But it's like, I haven't seen it. I haven't heard that person. I haven't validated that person. Right. Um, there is a resistance because it's like, but that's not steeped in reality. I know what reality is for me, but what is my intention perhaps is worth connecting to, right? Going, is my intention to sort of bring this person back to reality or is my intention to actually help this person move through what they're going through? And and bring them to whose reality? <laughs> Yours, right? Because it feels more comfortable for you. I'm saying you and the general you. Yeah. We want people to be in our reality because we feel better that way. Mm -hmm. It's harder to allow them to be in their experience when it's vastly different than ours. That's mm. much more challenging for us. Yeah. Than it is, right? Then embracing like, the chaos as opposed to control. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Stay with me. So we're mm. we're, you know, I I, I have this, I, I have two things I want to say about this is that brings up something very important for me emotionally. Mm. Um is um my youngest son who's on the spectrum mm. and for so many years we worked so hard to have him fit into the world mm. you gotta behave you gotta do this and, and there was there was a moment for me that i just it was a very overwhelming moment but i got it and and i got it i was and i and i honestly i heard a message mm. I heard a message said, you know, he's here to teach you as much as you're here to teach him. It was a very clear message that I got. And it really shifted my whole relationship with my son and with my son in the world. It's like, I am not 
going to try to fit him into this world anymore. The world needs to fit into his experience because mm -hmm. having a very different experience of the world than I am. Mm. His reality, his experience is vastly different because he's on the spectrum. Okay. And so I stopped getting him to fit into the all mm. reality. Mm. And it was a game changer for me, for our family, for the way we maneuvered in the world. It's like, sorry if you have trouble with the fact that my son is throwing something right now, but he's overwhelmed. He's really overstimulated. And this is what he's doing. I'll try to keep everybody safe, but this is what he's doing right now. Like it was a real important shift for me to not make everybody fit my reality, right? And I think that's one of the big pieces I got from your work prior to this interview, and I will let you carry on to point two, so pardon me for just jumping in here. Yeah, sure. It's the realisation that just because something is inconsequential to me does not mean yeah. that it's not consequential to somebody else. Yeah, mm -hmm. and just holding space for that as an, in, in my awareness is like, that was minor. And it's like, yeah, but for you, but not for them. Or that was huge for me and other people going, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you, why would that impact you? And it's like, I can't explain it, it did. <laughs> you know? So yeah, but I just wanted to just-, just Well, and let me, let me expand on that a little bit because it was recently, I was in, it was another example of this. So he's now in, he's 14 and he's in high school and he's in a therapeutic school that's doing really well. Mm. And recently him and I on the weekends are going back to his grade school and playing on the swing sets, this big mm. swing structure. Yeah. And he said to me, I, he does Taekwondo in gym class. This is yeah. what they do, right? He's like, now that I do Taekwondo, I'm much more stable in my body. Mm. So I can go on the swing set now mm. and not feel like I'm going to fall off. And I was like, oh my goodness, like we spent so many years when he was younger, playing with the kids, go on the swing set, play with the kids. <laughs> Everybody tried to get him to socialize and fit in. Yeah, from and a good place, trying to get him to play, encouraging him to play. Yeah, and fit in, like, you know, and this yeah. poor kid was so overwhelmed in his body, we had no idea. Wow. We had no idea, and it just broke my heart. I was like, oh my goodness, we, we tried so hard to get him to fit in, right? And now he's oh his agency because his body is more stable for him. Mm. And he's running up and down the slide and he's running up and down the stairs and he's playing with all these little kids, but he's feeling good about himself in a way that's so important, right? And so it, it's just been a great example for me of like, wait a minute, like, you know, theory of mind. This mm. is what Tanya Singer talks about. It's like, do you have the capacity to get out of your own experience and be into somebody else's, mm -hmm. right? Join their experience and see what the world is like from their perspective, as opposed to the perspective culture, society imposes mm -hmm. on all of us, right? It's, I think it's, I think I've learned a lot in that way, you know, when mm -hmm. I got there, that you, you, he's here to teach you as much as you're here to teach him. I'm like, yeah, that is true. Thank, yeah. you, thank you for that message. Because we do, and it's just not with people with autism, it's with all of us, mm. neurotypical people. Like your experience is so different than mine, mm. right? And it's, the last thing I want to say about this is 
because this is another one of the purposes I have, which I, I kind of fought for a long time <laughs> mm. when I, this message like trauma, bring love, compassion and trauma healing to the world. Like, okay, I can do that. Mm. And then unity, unity, unity kept coming up. Mm. I was like, unity, oh, that's a hard one. Like unity, unity, <laughs> yeah. unity. okay, unity, you know. Non-dual like, awareness, non-dual <laughs> reality. <laughs> like we want, we can in theory, enjoy difference but in reality it's very challenging mm -hmm. it's very challenging to really embrace what is not you mm -hmm. and what you do not believe in there is so much in this world right now that is so split and polarized mm -hmm. not only in the states all over the world and can we really step outside of our edicts our belief system and embrace the other side. Mm. Like that's what the world needs, in my view. Not more of me, more like me, mm. me hanging around with more like-minded people. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's great. It feels good, but it's not unity. Work is actually empathy. Mm. it's staying on the side right it's right. staying in your comfort zone mm, yeah <laughs> staying in your comfort zone is speaking to your people right can we really step outside of that right yeah can, can we really can we really see the perception and experience of the other side you mentioned earlier um the pieces to to vulnerability as well Mm -hmm. and yeah I loved it it was so you distilled it down so well what do I feel and can I share it and we've discussed a lot about what can I feel and giving ourselves permission to feel and potentially what the other person may be feeling um, but can I share it in there and we're talking about experience perception here at this particular juncture so I'm just going to try and weave those two threads into one here um, as as a question for more sort of, I don't want to sort of talk down on social structure, but sort of talk about the appropriateness of certain environments and how some are conducive to us sharing how we're feeling and others are not. Like there are certain times where in, you know, stuff comes up and I notice this even in my work, people bring up a lot of stuff all the time and they feel really safe to do so, touch wood, and I feel really um, blessed that people feel that safe to do that. And, you know, the amount of trust that they afford um, myself is it's definitely not lost on me. It's I'm very beyond grateful for it. Actually. I'm in awe of it in many ways, touch wood. And it's not about me. It's the context that they bring to the container actually. Um, and yeah, just aware that, you know, in their, let's say corporate environments, I take that, let's take that one because it's an mm. obvious, painfully obvious one, just sort of hanging in front of our, you know, in, in this conversation in front of our face in that environment, like having the conversations they can have with their coach, they can't really have those conversations in that environment um, because of, yeah, this, you know, can I share it makes it sound like how much of it is, do I have the courage and the strength to share it? But then I do wonder about the sort of status quo, the way society sort of woven together and how much, you know, maybe this is why trauma as a conversation is coming more and more to the fore so that we can soften the edges on these sort of angular environments that people can bring their whole selves to work, let's say. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I just wanted to reflect on that piece with you and sort of understand the role of environments in terms of us being healed and seen and heard. So the way that I see that is from where are we sharing it Mm. from within? Okay, there is the who am I sharing it with? And from where within am I sharing it? Mm. Okay, so if I'm in a corporate environment, I have to, if I'm sharing it from my smart ribbon part. Mm. Yeah, one of the protection parts. It's a very different experience than if I share it from what I call self-energy or what IFS calls self-energy from that calm power, that compassionate space inside. I have a different barometer Mm. of what is appropriate to share where. I'm assessing my environment Mm. differently when I'm assessing from self-energy versus when I'm assessing from a part. Okay, Mm. so it's not only where Mm -hmm. I'm sharing, it's how I'm sharing and how I'm assessing, Mm -hmm. right? Because when I'm in a pretty clear centered space, I have discernment in a different way Mm -hmm. about what's appropriate to share in what environment. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be kind and loving, but I'm going to have an awareness like, you know, maybe I'll share this. Maybe I won't. And, you know, this is my truth. If, if they're not okay with it, that's about them. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, is it safe to share this? What am I feeling? Does this feel okay? Does this not feel okay? Right? Mm -hmm. So I really use myself in the context of the environment within which I'm sharing. So I want to be attuned. You know, most people cut off, disconnect from their environment in a way in order to manage and survive. Mm -hmm. So they're really paying attention Right. So there are some areas I, I have a, an interesting story. Um, and this was with my brother-in-law. Um, who is very politically opposite for me, you know, very just totally on the other side, like, oh, my God, we're like so different. And this and that. And we were at a wedding family wedding and he's been in my family for a really long time. Mm. At a wedding. We're sitting down at breakfast and. I just kind of shared from from a loving place. Mm. I would I hadn't done that before with him because he's unsafe and careful <laughs> yeah. and stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah. he responded from a loving place. Mm. You know, he and we had he hugged me for the first time in 20 years. Never hugged me, right? Wow. So oh, Frank. You know, and what we end, what ended up happening was he, he shared with me his trauma history mm. after I shared with him my trauma history. So we have these very vastly different ways of reacting to it, mm. but we have commonality. So we actually, our wounds joined, mm. right? Our wounds joined, totally opposite. I've always led with fear. Yeah. Okay. And for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure what it was about. It was just him and I at the table. We're at this hotel. It's like, I'm gonna, I, f- I felt good. I felt open. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I and I wasn't talking about him. I was sharing my experience. Mm-hmm. The other thing, right? You're like, am I going to say, am I going to be in these environments and talk about what you should and shouldn't do? Mm-hmm. What I think is right and wrong? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to be in this environment and say, here's what I'm holding. This is what I'm feeling. This is my experience. Like, mm-hmm. it's hard for people to tell me I'm wrong. When it's your feeling. When it's my experience. Like, mm. well, this is, you know, I said, you know, I was like, you know, hey, so-and-so, I'm just here to bring love and compassion to the world. Like, I just want to help people who have been hurt. Mm. So that's what I, that's kind of, he's like, well, I've been hurt. You know, he like, he's like, oh, mm. this is, you know, like, so he joined, you know? Yeah. And so I really do think about, and, and you know, I, I don't want to be naive Okay, there are people in the world that aren't open and receptive. There are mm-hmm. people that are not interested. Mm-hmm. And we have to pay attention to that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And when we're in self-energy, like I said, we have a better barometer mm-hmm. for that. So mm-hmm. I don't want to just walk around um, naive that, you know, not everybody's in the same place you're in, Frank, and not everybody's open to this. And you've got to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you decide to say something or not, mm. where does it come from within you? I love that discernment. Thank you so much. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times love and compassion is what you're here for. So, my question has to be the inspired evolution. What is your inspired vision for a future, the impact that your work is having in the world? I know Transcending Trauma is an incredible book. And as you guys tuning in, dear audience, (laughs) you will be noticing that it's super accessible, the conversations that we're having, um, or maybe it's just me. Obviously, that's my experience. (laughs) There you go. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm finding it extremely accessible, the languagings, the terminologies, and I, for one, am extremely refreshed by it, and it also gives me plenty of threads to sort of pull apart so I can have a better look at myself. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Frank, the question still stands. What's your vision um, for an inspired evolution? What do you see? Wow. So this might sound kind of strange. Mm. Um, It's, it's almost not my, it's not my vision. Mm. Okay. I'm, I'm a vehicle. I'm here um, to support a larger vision. Mm. That's what it feels like now. So it's not really mine anymore. I've mm-hmm. kind of joined. I feel like, and I, I don't know. I do, after the after the, uh, after the transcending trauma, and I remember I went for a run, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, it's the world's now. Like when it got published, mm-hmm. no, May nineteenth, right? I remember the day. Mm-hmm. I was like, no longer mine. It's the world's. Like mm-hmm. this, I worked on that book for four years. And now it's the world's like, okay, it's yours. And when I released like that, mm-hmm. there was this, you have to bring trauma healing to the world. Like, not like you have to do it. It was like, this is, this is here for, you know? And so I'm like, I was a little bit like me, like, like, really? yeah. okay. You know, and I was a little bit like, what, what, you know, but I, I've <laughs> grown into Yes, me and mm. many other people. Like I'm part of a collective. Mm. I'm part of a collective like you are and like many of us are. 
to bring healing to the world. I, I, I used to say it, if I can bring more love and compassion to the world, I'm good. Mm. I didn't really know what that meant. It was more like a statement I used to say, mm. Mm. right? But now it's more like, oh, okay. I almost feel like I'm a channel for healing. I'm a mm. channel for healing, right? And I have a very, it's a global mission now, mm. which is not mine. Yeah. It's a global mission, right? Mm. So doing whatever I can. I'm, you know, these experiences, these opportunities are great for me. I said this morning, I did a global trauma summit. I'm like, that's more, the more people I could reach, the more people I could, I, the more people I could reach to let them know that healing trauma is, is a real possibility. Mm. Healing trauma, you know, is a real possibility. The better, the better off I will be and the better off the world will be. And I, I want people to know that it's it doesn't have to be something that we only do in psychotherapy offices. There's mm. many different ways to heal, many different ways to heal. And I, I am now becoming much more global in my message as opposed to specific because I've been I've been specific for a really long time. I've been doing this work, studying neuroscience, studying individual mm. Studying trauma, PTSD, and dissociation. Like I know that stuff. Mm-hmm. But to, to, to translate that message to the larger world, to the general public, is a different message, but it's the same message. Trauma healing is possible. We all can, we, we all can, we, we don't have to carry what is not ours. Mm. And a lot of us carry things, carry energies and experiences that don't belong to us. And there is, so I want people to know there's a way to release this and we don't have to carry it. And the more we do that, the more we are our authentic aligned self, Mm. you know, this um, trauma blocks, love, love heals trauma Mm. quote that was in my book. Like I say it like it wasn't my quote, mm. you know, like this kept coming to me. Mm. Trauma blocks love and connection. Love and connection is what heals trauma. It just, I just kept hearing that over and over again. Mm. And that is a message for me for the world is that, yeah, we're here to have these experiences. Mm. They're overwhelming. They're difficult. We're here to learn from them. And the more we heal from them, the more we become aligned with our source energy the more mm. we become our authentic self. So I want people to know it's possible. You know, um, I, this book I'm writing, I said this memoir, it's like, I did it. Here it is. Look. <laughs> and you can do it too. <laughs> like, that's what, like you can do this too. So I'm being very personal in this next book that I'm writing. And it is for the general public. Yeah. Um, to show that, yeah, really bad things can happen to all mm-hmm. of us and we don't have to carry them. And there's a way to let it go and release it. I can feel your loving service to greater and greater unity, <laughs> facilitating that. Oh. Like even right now, I just yeah. be feeling it where like collectively, I could just, I'm feeling it. Mm. Feeling it. 
Oh, I want to call you Dr. Anderson, but I don't. Frank, I just want to... You call me Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pardon me if that's not apropos. <laughs> Honestly, with the depth of where we've been in this conversation, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Um, yeah, it's really, it's as you guys have, as I've felt and as you would have seen and as the audience would have tuned in, there's been bits that have unraveled for me and I'm sure those tuning in are hopefully get as much, if not more, from it. Um, I will put a link to the book in the show notes, Transcending Trauma, for people to check out your work deeper and a link to your website as well if they get just that little bit more curious. But I definitely want to just, yeah, thank you so much for your time here today. But also I know it's not just today's conversation that informs this little pod that we've just had. It's a lifetime's yeah. work that's gone that's into right. it. And I just want to honour and acknowledge that and that comes into this. Thank you so much, Frank. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for being part of spreading this to the world because that's part of what you're doing. I mean, we are all part of that and you are too. So thank you for having me and spreading this message. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.